Welcome to Finding Your Epic. This is a show where senior level women share their epic moments, telling the story behind those light bulb experiences where they learned a powerful skill that shaped their career progression. Hosted by me, Jacqueline Frost, founder of Elevate Talent. Today, we are talking with Felicity March. Felicity has spent 30 years working in IT firms, most recently as the Global Vice President of Growth, Security and Resilience. I have only recently been introduced to Felicity and within minutes of speaking to her, I knew she'd be amazing to interview on this podcast and hear her stories as well as her advice and tips. I also learned we have very similar tastes in books and so I'm very excited about a book series that she has recommended to me. Welcome, Felicity. And thank you, Jacqueline. It's lovely to be here. Um, I am so excited to be talking to you today uh, and also be sharing our own book, um, Passions, and you're teaching me as much as I'm teaching you. Uh, absolutely. It, it's uh, it's wonderful to get the uh, the, the two-way street, isn't there, of, uh, of sharing ideas and uh, definitely the, the, book, uh, the book recommendations. And today, Felicity's going to talk about impact. And impact is one of the four pillars of the EPIC formula, which we use for the Elevate program. What people don't often focus on is there are actually three types of impact. There is positive impact, negative impact, and last but by no means least, neutral impact. An important first step is to choose which type you want to have, because only then will we act accordingly. Now, this is a big topic. So I'm going to start by asking Felicity, how do you explain what making a positive impact involves? Jacqueline, it's very simple. It's have you moved the dial? And that means have you moved the dial in what is important for the mission or the goal that you're trying to achieve? Yeah, exactly. I love that the expression, have you moved the dial? Yeah, what difference have you have you made? And what do you think is the issue when people take on a task and then don't realise that it hasn't had the intended impact, they haven't moved the dial? Where do you think the disconnect is with that? Well, let me give you some examples. So I'm going to give you three. There's me running the business and looking at growth. There is myself as a diversity and inclusive leader. And there's also mental health, well-being and culture at work. So let's look at all three of these. Firstly, within my business, I have to look at growth. And you have to look at what is the elements that you need the company to grow in. It would be very simple for me to say growth is money. That doesn't help anybody. Growth is actually the uh, growth of skills, the growth of culture, the growth of achievement within the business. And of course, the business does look at book to bill and revenue and signings. Otherwise, you aren't successful if you aren't actually running the money as well. Now, I get caught up with a lot of people that are doing a great job, doing lots of wonderful things, but they forget about what needle they need to move for the business in terms of skills, in terms of communication in terms of growing that revenue and signings business. Um, So uh, having a positive impact, to be able to understand what needle needs to be moved, to be able to show the benefit that you are adding, but also in a way of using it as a radar on a ship or sonar on a ship. Where am I sailing my ship and what are my instruments telling me? So it's not just moving the dial, it's understanding what dials you're looking at. 
that's nice and simple, but let's look at diversity. Now, diversity is something that a lot of us women and a lot of us, our work colleagues, get involved with, but it's not our day-to-day job. It is something that we do on top. Now, when I started looking at diversity, it's very good to say that I'm an ally. That I would say is a a, a neutral impact, or in a way, because you're not even moving the needle, potentially you're sitting there and you're having a negative impact impact because nothing is happening and nothing is changing. So you're potentially adding a drag. So when you're looking at things that are over and above your your one core purpose at work, it is important to understand what is your brand and your capability around moving that needle in a positive way. Uh, I have done things such as not only been at diversity meetings as an exec, but I have pulled a huge amount of statistics out of HR to be able to show my other colleagues, yes, you did promote one person, but actually here's 97 others that were promoted above and beyond. Yes, there's now a member of the LGBT community within your team, but actually this is the, uh, they are not actually statically moving. They've been in the same job role. So basically pulling the statistics and being able to show that overall impact. I have even gone one step further. Some people, you know, get a little bit surprised by this, but when I am put in a call with a majority of a certain uh, undiverse group, I have pointed out the lack of diversity within their organization and actually terminated the call and said, when you are ready to have a conversation with me with a diverse workforce, I'm more than happy to entertain it. That is a positive impact. It's a hard one, but it's a positive. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing that you do that. You call out because I don't hear many in many difficult circumstances when there's those kind of issues and challenges. I don't hear many people actually calling out. Uh, maybe the fact that it's not a diverse group or maybe just a behavior that they're seeing that's being demonstrated in the group as well. So that's uh, very impressive that you you do that. That takes that takes guts. It is. And that's where it comes down to mental health as well. So let's look at how do you move the needle on mental health? Uh, and it goes back actually to the first, first one I was talking about is um, if we look at, yeah, very hard, do the right thing, not necessarily the easy thing. We can all swim along in the lane of diversity and inclusion. But even when we start looking at mental health and culture, it is the Uh, ability to recognize and help people when they are struggling and when you can see that things are not going well or people uh, a few people have come to me I would say roughly 10 to 15 people have had a call with me where I've actually had to say you are not doing well I'm now going to speak to your manager you need some proper time out to get yourself better so how am I moving the needle in terms of mental health Well, first of all, I declare my own vulnerabilities and the fact that I have, and I think all of us have had mental health problems in the past or times in our life when things are very tough and allowing myself to be a little bit exposed and show my vulnerabilities allows people to recognize that they too can be vulnerable. I had a very tragic death of my godson last year at the age 20. Uh, I could have been very, very quiet about it. Um, but I shared this so that people understand that sometimes it's okay not to be okay. So again, a positive impact by helping people recognize that mental health is there as much as physical health, and it's okay not to be okay. Doesn't mean that you are suffering with chronic anxiety and depression, but it allows people to recognize that some days we're not okay. Some days we need more self-care. 
And some days we are allowed to be our authentic selves. And if we take that authentic self and put that into the core purpose of what we're doing on a day-to-day business, we're actually comfortable, we feel enabled, we feel empowered, and we feel that we can do our job. And if you don't have that, you become what I call professionally paralyzed. And you can't do your job because you have fear of whether or not you're doing the right things in your job. So you revert to form. You don't look at how you change the needle. You don't put yourself out there. And then, of course, you're not having a positive impact. Or they or last thing on this one, Jacqueline, you then realize that we have people out there that are constantly doing all their nice stuff. So they're doing all the nice, lovely stuff they want to do. They're not moving the needle. And what happens is that is recognized and you don't get promoted or even worse, you get sidelined because you're doing lots of lovely stuff, but you're not growing where the business needs you to grow into. Yeah, you're not inputting the business what the business needs to to progress. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when you say it so, the way you just framed it, it, it seems so obvious, doesn't it? I mean, everything you say, it's like, well, yes, of of course. There's an element, though, I think here that it's taking to have actually positive impact. As I said at the start, we have to think about what impact we want to have and then act accordingly. But that action often uh, needs some sort of uh, maybe risk that's involved or bravery. And I'm hearing those two things from you that, that you've taken risks and that you are courageous. So have you had an experience early in your career Uh, that you learned the importance of taking risks, the importance of being brave and being courageous? I have. And I think I've learned the lesson in two ways. One, because of good managers and two, in spite of bad ones. Um, And and that's a very... I like that, in spite of bad ones. (laughs) That's very good. (laughs) But you always become who you are in spite of or because of. And usually it's in spite of. Uh, If we all look back at our professional careers and say we've all had wonderfully amazing managers because we're all so busy, I would say that my majority of good ones versus bad leaders, you know, we we learn and we bump on through. Um, I, I, I had a light bulb moment and I was very lucky to have a light bulb moment in spite of certain things that were happening in my career. And I realized that I just had to be me and I had to be my authentic self. And um, if you are your authentic self and you're proud of yourself um, and that doesn't mean you have good self-esteem. I think sometimes in our early careers, we all struggle with a little bit of self-esteem. But what the trick is, is I think you have to understand your why and be close to your why in life. And if you are, then no one can knock your self-esteem. And I see many, many people uh, who are worried about their job, worried about what their boss thinks, worried about what boss what, what what your boss is going to do to get you your next job rather than what is your career? What do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? And what is your why? And I think it's a very hard conversation to have with yourself to say, what do you want to do? What do you want to do in 10 years? Where do you want to be in 10 years? And what is your core purpose rather than what is your job? But I'm reading a very good book that said, you know, know your why. So if you, one of the exercises it says is, if you think about the worst thing 
of your day, your job, the worst thing that you do that you hate the most and ask yourself why you do it, you will find the why in it. So let's use emails, the vast amount of emails we all get and responding back. But if you said, why are you responding back to emails? You then understand that actually you're communicating with your colleagues to help them with their purpose and what they need to achieve. And the reason you're doing that is because you want to move the needle. And if you understand the why of what you're doing, I find that actually it becomes your calling rather than your job. And if we if we do that, that allows us to just be ourselves. So I am sure there's some people that think I'm awful, some think, think I'm okay, and other people think I'm absolutely great. But I know that my integrity, my morals, and who I am, this is who I am, take me or leave me. And if you do that, then you actually then learn to be authentic self, and then you can carry on with actually achieving a positive impact in life. I really like that know your why because having coached I don't know how many thousands of hours now over the last 15 years of senior women it's the one thing that gets silence I'll ask people you know what is it they want what do they want to achieve and you will get a story and you will get sometimes a bit of babbling and not maybe the most coherent response but or sometimes you get a really great response and it'll be very articulate, maybe in just five or six words. Um, and that's great. And then I'll say, okay, so why do you want that? And I cannot think of a time it wasn't met with silence. I think every single time, and these are senior women who, you know, who are doing amazing things. And yet you ask the why. And I remember one occasion, um, uh, she's amazing when she's very, very senior now, managing director at a consultancy firm. And her answer was, oh, Nobody's ever asked me that before. It never occurred to her. Nobody had ever asked her. And so why do you want that? And it's funny, we the way we frame it uh, in the Elevate sessions is say, you know, connect to your own story. Connect to what it is you want and why you want it. Because unless you do that, you're, you're far less likely to achieve what you want to achieve. And going back to the discussion today, you're also far less likely to have that positive impact, which means you're not having the positive impact you're not likely to achieve what you want to achieve. But you mentioned about the fact that you you learned this in spite of a, a bad manager. Is there a story around there more specifically that you can you can share what the actual incident was that gave you that moment thought, oh okay, or maybe a couple of things that happened with this individual where you realized actually I've got to work this I've got to work this out because if I don't, I'm going to prevent my own growth. I'm going to prevent myself from moving the dial on my own career or in your role. Yes, there is. And it's a it's a it's a it's a long one. So let me truncate it down. Um, I realized when I was talking cybersecurity, uh, let me get into some detail, uh, was that you, you have a, a situation where you have to protect against it. You have to detect when you've been attacked and you have to respond when you've been attacked, rather like a burglar going into your house. And you have to then, you know, stop somebody getting in the door. When you see them in your house, you then get them out the house. Um, but there's also another part called recover at the end. And I realized very quickly within cyber attacks, protect, detect, respond was brilliant. 
And uh, but the recover part, and there was a massive cyber attack in 2017 called NotPetya, hit 3,000 companies, was state sponsored out of Russia, was sent into the Ukraine and cost the globe $10 billion. One company alone lost 60,000 PCs and 8,000 servers in just under seven minutes. And it was that was basically proliferated across those 3,000 companies as well. And what happened was when this cyber attack happened, that we turned around to all these security guys and said, right, okay, you need to recover. And they went, oh, yeah, and that's not my job. And we went, what do you mean? They went, oh, no, we don't recover. That's the backup people over there. I went to the backup people who went, oh, no, 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 I don't do cyber. I do traditional DR, traditional backup. I don't know how to recover. So we had a lot of companies that were going up, and then we realized there was this massive gap. If you think about it as a bomb disposal expert team, they're really, really good at disposing with the bomb until it goes off. Then you need plumbers, electricians, builders. And so they pack up and go home. So I realized there was a massive gap in the middle of the industry where no one was looking at how do we actually keep hospitals having access to patient records, regardless of what's happening. So how do you keep your company functioning under attack and under duress? And regardless of whether it's a fire, a flood, a pandemic, Russia doing its worst with with big, horrible source code viruses, actually the impact is the same. You lose your core purpose, you lose your integrity, and you lose your revenue stream or your brand. doesn't matter why. So when I realized that actually we should be putting cybersecurity together with other things that take IT down and actually look at it as one IT risk, I realized none of my bosses understood this. I'm cybersecurity. I do DR and recovery, two different parts of the organization. And I realized very quickly that for the industry, and that's where I'm passionate, you have to put the two together. So I started explaining this to my boss who thought I was, you know, quite literally smoking something called cyber resilience. And uh, then that's when I realized that actually my boss and my boss's boss did not understand the huge gap that was in the industry. And when a hospital can't access patient records, it is a bad idea. And there was other things happening where the cyber team would be really, really good at doing data. If you had your data stolen, job number one in the rule book was turn everything off while we do our investigation. They turned a hospital off for nine days. Not acceptable in the industry. You can't do it. And I was also finding that a lot of people could do mainframe security, endpoint security, network security, server security, cloud security. And I put all these architects in a room and I went, hospitals no longer trading, IT has gone down. What do you think they asked me to recover first? And I had 250 architects going, well, it'd be the server. No, it'd be the network. No, it'd be the cloud. No, it'd be the mainframe. It has to be the apps. And I went, no, do you know what they asked me first? Can we have access to patient records? And the collective intake of breath in that room was astounding. Not one person had thought of the business process. So this allowed me to have a really strong point of view. And I was pushing this four or five years ago. It's now coming into fruition. So I was master of my own subject, which made me realize that actually it is me and my authentic self and my real point of view and my passion in the subject that allowed me to then say, uh, I'm going to do this in spite of you. I'm not going to be this girl who is what job can I have next boss? And that's where I'd been to up until that point. And actually, it was a case of, I don't care where I work. This is something I'm now passionate about. And there's a lot of women, Jacqueline, out there that are waiting for their boss. Or how do I make my boss see how good I am? How do I wait for my next job? How do I wait, wait to be told what I can and can't do? 
I had a boss all those years ago that put me on a, a, a personal improvement plan because I wasn't good enough. Um, actually, I, I was brilliant, but he had a problem with me. And actually, I ignored all that and I went for my overall passion. So never let other people assess who or how you are and actually start believing in yourself. That's the story. Wow. wow. That, that is fantastic. That is truly inspirational. And becoming, with well, the expression is master of your own destiny. Maybe we make this to make it mistress yeah. of your own destiny. Uh, because I think it is. And I think there's, I think part of it is that we also forget that the one person who knows us best and knows what we want and knows why we want it is ourselves. Yeah. And yet we can fall into that trap of giving it abdicating that to somebody else thinking that they will they will know and even the best boss I mean I've had great bosses I've had average bosses I've had appalling bosses (laughs) in my time in banking I mean one truly appalling um Yet each one, there's no way even the great ones wouldn't have known exactly what I wanted and, and why I wanted it. And so, no, that it's so important to to speak up. It's not something I ever found difficult to do was speak up. I don't know whether it's because I'm the youngest of three girls and if I hadn't spoken up at the age of two, <laughs> I wouldn't have got anything any time. <laughs> Not that my sister's, you know, just a dynamic of being the youngest in the house and two older siblings and one's six years older than me, one's three years older than me. So they're, they're you know, they're, they're more accomplished, aren't they, earlier? Were you comparing a two-year-old to an eight-year-old? It's not a fair competition. What about you? So did you find the speaking up easy? Was it tricky? What you know, was there just so much motivation behind it? You couldn't help yourself. What what helped you speak up? So I also am the youngest of three daughters of one that is six and four years older than me. So we're very similar, Jacqueline. And I did have to speak mm. up. However, was I speaking up in my career in my 20s and 30s? No. I, I had a baby mm. at 28 years old. I was very grateful that I could come back off a very short maternity leave. Um, and I, I, I wasn't, you know, brash in my twenties or even in my early thirties, um, because I had to focus on being a mum and also having a career. And I think 23 years ago, um, I had my boy and, um, I found that actually then there there was a different culture in the workforce where you were just grateful to have a job. And I was slightly sidelined because I was a mother and and we didn't have the same career opportunity. So you really had to get out there, really had to get out there. And then um, I think I found my mojo when I was in my 30s. I'm now 52. Um, and I started speaking out then and actually talking about what I wanted to do and what I wanted to achieve. I am worried for women that are coming back into the workforce after being a mum or worried about their role before they even think about motherhood because I find too many are very grateful for the job that they've got and they still fall into the bad pattern of I have a job and I've got to wait for someone to tell me what my next capability is. Um, And I want any woman listening to this today to realise, no, just go and be you. And I think now there's a lot more capability of just being your authentic self. Um, And in fact, just before uh, I did this recording with you, someone was on the phone telling me that they'd gone and applied for a job and had very aggressive interviewing from another woman and, and had had feedback saying, you're a bit bullish. And she said, how do I fix that? I said, you don't. 
You just be you. They either want you for yourself or they don't want you, but allow yourself to be you and recognize that you bring value into that workplace. And if you do that, that gives you the confidence to just allow you to to drive forward and again, have a positive impact. Yeah. Well, there's another thing we have in common. My daughter's 23. So it sounds like we were pregnant at the same time as well. And like you, I think I had, I think I was, I think return to leave was 12 weeks or was it 14 weeks? Do you remember? 12. Didn't get long. No. 12. Yes. I think I think I might've tacked on two weeks of holiday at the end of it. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I think I was out for 14 weeks in total. So a very different world. I personally found having my daughter just that extra motivation that I had to be very focused when I was at work. And therefore I may have gone the other way slightly in the fact that I didn't take prisoners, which may not have been the best thing in the world either. But the other thing you say there as well is is that um, about being yourself, that's actually the Frost family motto. Whenever any of us doing it, whether it's my husband and myself or we have two children, my daughter's 23, our son's 20, um, they're doing things. We just say, just be yourself, just be yourself. Because if you're not, then it's incredibly difficult and it will be tiring and you will trip yourself up. And I think one of the other aspects of impact is is that the best way you can have a positive impact is if people actually are trusting you. And if people don't know who you are, and if you're not being who you are, then I think it makes trust an awful lot more difficult to earn and, and to receive, don't you think? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And if I can segue slightly uh, with this trust and people understanding who you are, I do something called a balance wheel. And I talk to people about life-work balance, not work-life balance. Life-work balance, we've just both spoken. We're mothers, we're daughters, we're sisters, we're partners, we're house owners, we're, I'm a dog owner. And we are many different aspects. So if I said to everybody, right, what is your what is your cake of all the different sections that you are? You also are a career woman. That's one thing. I also have to worry about finances, my mental health, my physical health, how the upkeep of the house is, my my looming retirement. And so what I do is I write all these things down, all these different sections of my life, and I score each one. So how well am I being a family member? How well am I being a partner? How well am I doing on my physical health, my mental health, my finances, my all the other things that make up you? And I did this to uh, many, many times to about 4,000 people and say, right, these are all your sections, write your sections down, score each one of the sections. One of them is hobbies. And where do you put that? Where do you score yourself out of 10? One, two, three or four or, you know, up to 10. And the amount of times I've done it with people who say, well, I'm one out of 10. And I then say, right, how can you possibly turn it to two out of 10? over the next few weeks? What two or three steps could you do that you feel comfortable with to actually change it from a one to a five or whatever? But don't think you have to do each of these sections till they get to 10. So hobbies, you might say, I'm not going to worry about hobbies for now, because I'm focusing on my career. Or, I'm not going to worry about my career for now, because I'm focusing on being a mum. And if you do that, you then realize that all these aspects of your life, and I've done it once, and I remember doing it with with a whole group of people and somebody, I could hear someone on the call going, why did I give up ballet? I love ballet. Why did I give up ballet? Because they'd actually looked at hobbies and said, actually, I rate this at one out of 10. What could you do to make it two out of 10? Well, maybe join a ballet club. And I did the same score with this lady 
a month later and it gone from one to 10 to seven out of 10. So actually, if you want people to trust you, you've got to trust yourself. And if you give yourself a 360 degree review of yourself, the first time you do it, you get very, very tired. It'll take you half an hour, but you get very tired. But you know you and you recognize the bits that maybe are failing in you. And that then allows you to be your authentic self because you've accepted that there are some things in your life that aren't particularly brilliant at the moment. Physical health for me, I, I, I spend a lot of time on the phone and I, I, you know, I let it slip and I'm now back to spinning and doing everything. But me sitting down and going, who am I and what am I and what do I want to be you know, successful at? Being successful as a woman and all the different aspects of me allowed me to be trusting of myself that then allowed other people to trust me because I could be my authentic self and accept that there are some things that aren't so good and some things that are good but I'm working on it and allowing myself to be me. Yeah, that that's uh, that's fantastic. And that's also a very easy exercise anybody listening can sit down and do. I'm pretty sure you can go on the internet somewhere and print something off out that you could just follow on. But, but I think uh, it's also great because no matter where we are in our lives, what stage we are in our lives, we're all a work in progress. And I think that's what's so fantastic because I think people look – to senior people and think they've got it sorted and there's always a part of the wheel isn't it that's not getting the attention and it's about realizing that yeah you work in progress you're focusing on this bit and that bit will therefore need to wait maybe further down the line you can focus on that bit as well this has been absolutely fantastic felicity now i know you have a final thought to share so at the end of every elevate session we always include an inspirational quote i know you have one to share with us today if you'd like to go ahead and, and let us know I would. And it's by Amelia Earhart, who really is a um, very, um, I'm very passionate about her and what she actually achieved. So look her up if you don't know who Amelia Earhart is. And this resonates with me. It's a short one, but it resonates with me. The most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity. And that is so true, Jacqueline, in every single way. It is this professional paralysis. It is this professional constipation when we have anxiety or not sure where to go. But actually, you've just got to decide you can go do it because then the rest is, is you know, knuckle down and get it done. So I like that. One. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Felicity. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast on the topic of epic impact. Now go find your epic. <laughs>